everybody, and welcome to the Best Marvel Comics Podcast. This is the premiere, official premiere, episode one of the podcast that I've been meaning to do for a while. And what it's all about is we get to talk about the best Marvel comics, the best stories, characters from the past. It doesn't have to be the far-off past, but stuff that we don't get to talk about in our regular show, which is a weekly review show. Now, this first episode, we're going to be talking about Tales of Suspense number 39, and in particular, the Iron Man, Tony Stark intro, the origin first appearance of him. But before we do that, let me remind you to go over to Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. If you follow us, we will follow you back. That is a promise. And also check out our Patreon account, patreon.com slash weird science where you can help us out for these shows on this feed and get many many more if you're a patron on there you get a ton of marvel shows a ton of dc shows as well manga cartoon and a bunch of things i mean a lot of stuff going the best i can tell you is to go over and check it out and you'll see that there is a lot going on there but we're here to talk about Tales of Suspense number 39. Like I said, this is the first appearance and origin of Iron Man, Tony Stark, Iron Man. And before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about how the character came about and who's involved. Iron Man's Marvel Comics premiere in Tales of Suspense number 39, cover dated on March of 1963, was a collaboration among editor and story plotter Stan Lee, scripter Larry Lieber, story artist Don Heck, and cover artist and character designer Jack Kirby. In 1963, Lee had been toying with the idea of a businessman superhero. He wanted to create the, quote, quintessential capitalist, a character that would actually go against the spirit of the times and Marvel's readership. Remember, this is the 60s, counterculture going. And just as an aside, one of the big things that you always hear about Marvel Comics when they really hit with Fantastic Four, all of that stuff going forward, is that it was for the younger people. It was for the counterculture. It was going against kind of the stale and businessman-like DC Comics. So you end up having Stan Lee kind of throwing this character out there to go against everything that Marvel's known for and everything that people seem to like Marvel for, which is kind of a crazy concept. But he said, I think I gave myself a dare. It was at the height of the Cold War, the readers, the younger readers. If there was one thing they hated, it was war. It was the military. So I got a hero who represented that to the hundredth degree. He was a weapons manufacturer. He was providing weapons for the army. He was rich. He was an industrialist. I thought it would be fun to take the kind of character that nobody would like, none of our readers would like, and shove him down their throats and make them like him. And he became very popular. And Stan Lee intended to write this story himself. A minor deadline emergency eventually forced him to hand it over to Lieber for this premiere issue of Fleshed Out the Story. The art was split between Kirby and Heck, and it's, he designed the costume Heck set of Kirby. Because he was doing the cover, the covers were always done first. But I created the look of the characters like Tony Stark and his secretary, Pepper Potts. And the character's original costume that we'll talk about in this premiere issue was a bulky gray armored suit. Looked like a giant golem type deal. It was replaced by a golden version 
in the second story. I mean, they get right to the idea. We got to spruce this up. I mean, this pure gray kind of bulky suit. We got to start doing something a little more flashy. So they made it a golden version in the second issue, issue number 40 in April of 1963. Then it was redesigned as sleeker red and golden armor that we're familiar with in issue number 48 in December of 1963. By that issue's interior artist, Steve Ditko, although Kirby drew it on the cover. As Heck recalled in 1985, the second costume, the red and yellow one, was designed by Steve Ditko. I found it easier than drawing that bulky old thing. The earlier design, the robot-looking one, was more Kirby-ish, and it was, and obviously he was the one who designed that for the cover. And yeah, very bulky. The bulkiness of it comes into play in this first story, and it's one of those moments that is kind of, it goes real quick, but it makes me laugh every time I read it. But with all of that, let's now get into the actual issue Tales of Suspense, number 39. All right, and I will repeat once more that this is Tales of Suspense, number 39, cover date of March 1963, plot by Stan Lee, script by Larry Lieber, pencils and inks by Don Heck, colors by Stan Goldberg, and letters by Artie Cimac, and edited by Stan Lee. We start with the Jack Kirby cover, where you have the big Tales of Suspense banner across the top. It was 12 cents when this came out. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? You're whole pullish. You're like, I'm buying everything. Oh, how much is that? 82 cents. That'd be awesome. And it says underneath the Big Tales of Suspense banner, who or what is the newest, most breathtaking, most sensational superhero of all? Iron Man. He lives. He walks. He conquers. Now, it was mentioned by Don Heck that this was a, a very bulky very not really eye-catching design of Iron Man. I think it looks like some sort of evil villain, some sort of robot. I mean, that's probably the cool thing about it is, is this guy a robot? Is he a man? What is he? Is he man or machine? Uh, I don't know, though, that I'd see this and be that crazed with, like, oh, my God, it's so eye-catching. I need to see who this is. It's just this bulky gray guy uh, with very defined boot tread. Right? And you end up on the cover, you see who, who, as somebody is putting on the armor, we'll find out. It's almost like they're they're hinting that it might be somebody we already know, but then we wouldn't have. It's, it's Tony, it's a new character, but it's kind of a cool deal. And then it says at the bottom, just to get a little ad, you know, going for this. From the town of Bullpen, where the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Thor, and your other favorite superheroes were born. I like the idea that they really do know at that point already who their heavy hitters are, and they want Iron Man, Tony Stark, to join that eventually. Obviously, he does. And then you go into the credit page where it says Iron Man is born. That is the name of the story we're going through. And he seemingly is ripping apart a mountain or maybe a Reese's peanut butter cup. I'm going to go with the peanut butter cup, but I'm not here to, you know, judge what he's doing. I mean, he's just ripping something apart. It's just like a ill-defined thing. It's just, oh, my God, he can rip things. Uh, it says, watch his awesome approach. Listen to his ponderous footsteps as he lumbers closer, closer. For today, you are destined to encounter the Invincible Iron Man. Even then, you get that idea, the lumbers closer, the ponderous footsteps. I'm like. This does not sound like the start of something that is a cool superhero. 
oh my god, you know, hey, look at me, I'm walking slow, I'm the Iron Man. Like, that's the kids there. I, I don't know, I, I should have used, like, a New York accent. They're there, the newsies, they're delivering the papers. Hey, look at me, I'm slow, I'm the Iron Man, forget about it. And you go into the story, though, and you start kind of thrown in in the now where Tony is in his lab, a secluded area in the U.S. defense perimeter where Anthony Stark is giving a demonstration to the Army on what ends up being a very big focus of this first issue, his transistor you know, apparatus, his, his inventions of transistors that are used by him here to make little things more powerful. We'll see why that would be something that the government would be interested in. But real quick, before you even go into the lab, there's these two guards out there doing their, you know, guards on duty talk. Hey, must be pretty cool to be Tony Stark. That guy has 24-hour guard. And then you have the other guy like, oh, he is. And I love it. He rates all right. The commies would give their eye teeth to know what he's doing right now. Well, what he's doing is demonstrating this transistor technology where he ends up getting a little tiny magnet. He puts it on a table. He connects one of his transistors. And I'm not going to tell you that the science is well spelled out with these transistors. Basically, we're told at one point he can make a transistor to do anything. All right. Well, he ends up pointing the magnet, activates it with the transistor. And across the room, there is a vault door, a real thick vault door. And it starts to rumble. And it tears it off of the hinges. But not only that, it tears it in half. This is huge. With a little tiny magnet. And that's impressive. He says, with the transistors, I can increase the force of any device a thousandfold. Again, the science isn't really spelled out. But what you end up doing here is, okay, let's kind of tape the transistor to a gun. And now the gun is like an atomic weapon. And that's what the interest is to the government. Now, again, you're ripping something off the wall with a magnet. I I don't know that I would really think that, you know, maybe he's playing a game. Maybe this is set up, whatever it might be. But the government, the U.S. government, never known to be frugal. I mean, one of the big things is they were paying like $10,000 for toilet seats at one time back in the day. So they're also not very good negotiators. At this point, you got to keep a straight face and go, that's interesting. You know, Mr. Stark, we're going to go think about it. We're going to go talk to people about it. No, this guy's like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything so unbelievable. This is the greatest. Uh, Tony's eyes are lighting up with dollar signs. I mean, he, he sits there like, huh? Pretty good, right? Oh, my God, it's the best thing I ever saw. All right. Yeah, what what price did we say? $10 billion? No, no, no. It's now 20 Pay up, buddy. That's what happens. This is when you end up generals not known to be great negotiators, I guess. but. As we go on, we're going to be introduced now to Tony as the man Tony Stark. Let's see what he's all about. And then we'll get the villain introduced as well. Pretty much Tony is a millionaire inventor. He is as comfortable in the laboratory as he is in the bedroom. I mean, really, right? And you end up seeing him like right off the bat, he's on the Riviera. Oh, my God, Tony. All the women are flocking to him. All the guys are getting jealous. And this one, the Riviera was so... Much a drag until you got here, Tony. I'm like, really? Like, I'd like to see the drag of the Riviera myself sometime. The one girl goes, oh, my God, he's the dreamiest thing this side of Rock Hudson. They are really enamored with it. And way to date your book. But again, 1963, 
about a year and a half from now, oh my god, he's as dreamy as Ringo. No, no, he's he's dreamier than Ringo. Uh, but you end up seeing that, yeah, there he is, the playboy. The guy who invents things, but also heads out in the high society parties every night and mingles and jingles and all that. Well, then we go off to see, you know, the threat here. And the whole thing, this is a Vietnam War thing. And when you end up going through the ages, each decade, whatnot, there are a bunch of times that they are going to redo this origin. And one of the big things that does change, a lot of the stuff stays the same, but one thing that does change is the war. Where they're going at this point, Vietnam, at some points, it ends up being Middle East, Afghanistan, all that stuff, whatever we're, and I say we're, the U.S. is involved with, you usually end up changing, including the movies and stuff like that. So you end up going in Vietnam and you have the darn communist, the red gorilla tyrant Wong Chu, who is just going through the jungle and capturing villages and taking them over. And he has kind of a an interesting way of putting his stamp on the capturing of a village. He goes in, and it's almost like he's going in like a prison situation. He goes in, they take over the village, and then he looks for the biggest guy, and he says, hey, anybody here want to fight the great Wong Chu? I don't know if you heard this. I'm the Red Gorilla Tyrant, and I have a little game that I like to play. When I go in and I take over these villages, I'm going to give you the chance of freedom. I'm going to give you the chance of you, you know, find who is your strongest guy? Who's your best fighter? He could just come out here. And if he beats me in a fight, we'll leave. We'll just leave. Now, I don't believe that because it would be one of those, well, I can't let this guy get away or else he's going to sully the great name of Wang Chu, the red gorilla tyrant. But at least he throws us out there. He's never lost. So who knows? I mean, he is a good winner i guess i think he might be a sore loser but and even a good winner i mean this is pretty much burning down the village and pillaging about i don't think that's a good winner but you know hey you know that's what he thinks but he ends up challenging a guy this guy steps forward hey it's me and it's funny he goes through a bunch and they all the one guy definitely looks like he's in his pajamas but the other guy you know they're in these gi type deals i'm telling you the one is just striped they end up fighting him and they, they lose. And then he says, all right, it's over. Well, you know, let us plunder the town. Time to plunder. Let's go. I'm the victorious Wong Chu and you can't stop me. So you get this deal. Pretty, pretty bad dude. You know, he's bad to the bone. He's going to go and kill and do worse and things like that. I will say, though, doesn't look like he's a young guy. Doesn't look in shape either. But boy, he knows that fighting technique. He can defeat them all. So you end up, there you go, you you get the face of the villain. And Tony, unfortunately, is going to become a prisoner of him in just a moment because you end up having Tony showing up in his, you know, nice blue hat and what appears to possibly be a London Fog trench coat or maybe a lab coat, but it looks more like a white trench You don't wear a white trench coat into the jungle, Tony. I, I guess this is... Tony is not really, he's good in the lab, he's good in the bedroom. In the jungle, he's a little off. He's wearing his nice clothes. And they go in and he's talking to the military. And basically they say, we're better armed than Wang Chu and his gorillas, but we can't bring our giant guns into the jungle. This is why his transistor technology is really good. Like I said, you kind of tape it to a mortar shell shooter deal, a gun. Everything is now a weapon of mass destruction. And they walk in. 
and they do end up fighting you know some of these gorillas and they do take them down it's very quick the problem is is that and this is one of the things that you were told a lot about vietnam when you go in there the the jungle they know how to set traps they're waiting they hide out all that stuff that makes it hard to really fight them well they have set a tripwire tony's too busy probably trying to keep his white coat from getting all stained and dirty and he ends up hitting the tripwire it kills everybody there except tony he lives but this is the big thing that most people will know he has taken some shrapnel to the chest and that shrapnel is working its way towards his heart it keeps going towards his heart now I think that that sounds like a pretty serious injury. Uh, you know, they get the idea of, okay, if the shrapnel gets to his heart, he's got, but, but the shrapnel got into him. He, he's got to be hurt. They almost play it off as if he's fine, you know, in a couple minutes. He ends up getting captured, and one guy comes out and is like, oh, my God, this Yankee civilian is still alive. Doesn't know who this is, but says this might be important. I'm going to bring him to Wang Chu. Maybe I'll get a reward. He takes him there. Wang Chu is looking at Tony, who's just there. Now he's in his white shirt and blue pants. No blood, nothing like that. I mean, this he has to have like a gaping chest wound. He doesn't. And you, Wang Chu, hey, what's going on? Is he going to live? And the doctor says, well, he's going to die. Eventually, I can't do any surgery. The shrapnel's too close to his heart. It's working its way there. He might have a week to live. Okay, he got a serious injury from an explosion where he has a week to live. But yet he's fine to walk around because then Wang Chu says, well, can he work for this week? Can we put him to work? And oh, yeah, I don't see what the problem is there. All right, Doc, let's go lie to him. Tell him that he is going to make us some weapons of mass destruction. And if he does complete these, hopefully within a week, We'll fix him. We'll lie to him and say that we we would do the surgery, but we want to wait to see that you help us out. Tony knows they're lying. He says, I know that if they could, you know, do surgery on me and I, if I was going to live, they would have done it first and then just had me captive and end up having me make weapons for them for years. This must be that I only have that little bit of time. And so he ends up agreeing. OK, I'm going to agree to the stupid commie. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make something for me, not him. I'm going to bring him down. He says, all right, Wang Chu, I'll do it. All right, let me show you the laboratory. He takes him into this lab that I don't know who was in this lab before. He ends up saying, yeah, we got a lot of scrap iron, wink, wink. But it's all there. You also have, you know, radios, oscilloscopes, just stuff just piled around. He's a hoarder of this Wang Chu. And he says, all right, here you go. Get to work. You got plenty of tools. And Tony says, all right, I promise you I'll build the most fantastic, just craziest weapon of all time. And then he's thinking to himself, and he's lucky he's not doing one of those Homer Simpsons where he gets mixed up and starts saying what he's thinking instead of the opposite. Because he's like, I'll build it all right. It'll be mine. I mean, only for one purpose, to keep me alive. So he gets to work right away. Transistors. He's working. He's, he can make a transistor out of anything. So he's there, he's making the transistors, he's got his blueprints, he's writing notes. He knows that he has limited time, so he's working around the clock trying to get this going. Uh, in the middle of it all, we have Wang Chu show back up and throw this old man into the room. Take that, Professor Vincent, and throws it in. You help this Tony Stark out as well. Boom! Throws him in, 
And yeah, he's going to help build the weapon. Uh, it's weird. I guess that the play here is that, okay, Tony only has four more days now, three more days. We got to get going. I don't see him making anything. We got to do this. And I would say in the roundabout way, this would also be for this Professor Vincent or Yinsen, I'm sorry, to go. And if Tony does die, maybe he can complete the project if he knows what is going on. Well, this guy, Professor Yinsen, is somebody that Tony admired when he was in college, read all his books. He's the greatest physicist. Oh, my God, I thought you died. He's like, no, that Wang Chu just captured me. And I've been withering away, but at least now I can do some stuff that I love with a fanboy. Tony, let's go. And he ends up seeing this, and Tony goes and shows him the schematics. And if you look close, you can see that it is this Iron Man suit. And Yinsen's like, oh, my God, that's fantastic. A mighty electronic body to keep your heart beating after the shrapnel reaches it. So this is to make it that Tony can live. It will end up functioning as a armor that he can't take off, though. And in fact... When you go through this first issue, they're really playing the idea that he'll never be able to leave the full suit of armor. That changes in the second appearance. He ends up just wearing the breastplate for his heart. Eventually, we know how that all goes and what he creates. But at this point, he is creating something that almost is like, this will also be my tomb. You end up having some crazy thoughts like that while you go. But yeah, they end up working together and they do really good. They're working fast. They end up making the Iron Man suit, and the day comes where Tony, as he's getting really tired, oh my God, I can feel the pressure, my heart hurts, the shrapnel, get me in the suit, Professor. And they get into the suit, but it needs to be energized. It needs to be powered up. And that's when you end up, they they set up a alarm, you know, a little red deal. It almost looks like when you're recording and you hit the record and the red light goes on, but it is that warning light. That go, oh, my God, Wang Chu, he's here. He approaches. He's going to try to find out what happened. And if you're not fully powered up, he's just going to be able to rip you out of the suit. You'll die, and he'll have this incredible Iron Man suit. We need a distraction. And Professor Yinsen says, and but actually thinks, like, my life is but little consequence. You know, we need to have this Iron Man, this Tony Stark live. So that he can take down And he does go out to cause a distraction He starts yelling, death to one Chew oh, Get him, I hate that guy He runs out, oh my god, he's crazed Shoot him and kill him But as he's doing it, he's thinking Okay, this is the distraction that needs to happen So that in his mind, I think as he dies He thinks, okay, at least Wong Chu will be joining me soon And so you end up where Tony And this kind of goes against something later You hear the bang of a gun And you hear, it is done, drag him away And then Tony sitting there in the suit on the table says, you will not have died in vain, my friend. I swear it. The Iron Man swears it. Later on, he finds out that Yinsen died and he's all beside himself. Oh, my God, he died. I mean, you're saying it right now. I think it's again. And he also, I'll avenge you. He's going to avenge him twice. He is. The suit powers up. And one of the funniest progressions in any origin you'll ever get is the idea that here we go. Finally, the transistors have sufficient energy now. My heart is beating normally. The machine is keeping me alive. Alive! You end up having the Frankenstein moment. And he's like, this is going to be the most powerful thing that mankind has ever seen. I'm going to be able to take down Wang Chu, but I'm going to be able to go out. Oh, my God. And he steps off of this table, takes one step and falls right on his face. He face plants with a thud. 
I mean, all of this big talk. This will be the greatest. Oh, my God. And he falls over. And then he says, oh, my God, it's like I'm a baby learning to walk. But I don't have the time to be a baby. I got to get going. Takes a couple steps. Says, all right. I, I took a couple steps. I love that he's so, so over the top excited. And yet he doesn't realize that I'm going to have to start from the very beginning and learn just to walk a couple steps. While this is going on, the lab door is being broken down by Wang Chu and his guards. Tony goes over, and as you always do in monster stories like this, and it really is at this point like a monster type story. He goes over and looks at himself in the mirror. What monster have I become? What am I? I am now more machine. And he's upset. He puts his head in his hands. And he says, my brain still thinks, my heart still beats. But in order to remain alive, I must spend the rest of my life in this iron prison. Damn you, Yinsen. Just he's so crazy with this that he's going on and on and on about how upset he is. But you end up seeing the versatility of this lumbering man and suit. Where they're going to break in Wang Chu and his guys are going to break in So he attaches suction cups to his hands And leaps with the transistor abilities up to the ceiling And hides I mean, this is a lumbering giant man of iron And he's hiding in the rafters Well, they come in They're like, oh my god, where is he escaped? He didn't make any weapons This was one of the worst ideas I ever had I'm sure that Wang Chu goes off and kills the surgeon it was your idea. It's like, no, it wasn't. You're going, nah, shut up. I'm on you. And goes off. So Tony now has to get out of this facility undercover. So what he figures is, okay, I'm a big, giant, lumbering Iron Man. I'll get my hat and coat. You know, puts on his hat and coat. It's very similar to what, you know, a Ben Grimm thing does later. And he goes off to silently sneak out. Well, while that's happening, Wong Chu with any disappointment, you end up having Wang Chu want to get back to the good times. So he goes out into the courtyard and says, hey, everybody, we're going to have, you know, blood sport time. It's fight club. I want to beat some heads. I need to kind of get, you know, spry. I want to keep my mind off this Iron Man thing. So he goes and it looks like you even have, you know, some captured guys that he's going to fight. And, you know, he's fighting them. And he keeps yelling, hey, anybody here worthy of fighting me? Anybody want to fight me? And you have in the shadows a man in a London fog, a white London fog coat and a hat say, I will, as you wish, tyrant. But first, I shall remove my clothes. I'm like, oh, my God, this is getting sexy out in the courtyard. I love the idea. Who who wants to fight me? You over there? Yeah, but I got to get naked. All right, here we go. And you see that it is the Iron Man. It says, why do you stare, Wang Chu? What is wrong? Have you never seen an Iron Man before? Of course not, Tony. That's some good trash talk, though. And he says, you're not human, you're machine. Okay, well, let's figure this out. Let's see what you have against the machine Iron Man. That I, and also, you're a jerk. And you ended up doing a bunch of things. You're evil and misdeeds. You're about to pay. Eightfold, and he ends up going, and it's great because he grabs Wang Chu, puts him over his head, and helicopters him around, and then throws him. He throws him off, and yeah, ends up where now we get a giant fight. The people, Wang Chu, his guards, his army, start to fight Iron Man. They start to shoot bullets. They just go off his iron shell. I mean, there you go. You see one of his deals. Oh my God, he's the invincible Iron Man. Then what happens is Iron Man pulls out one of his magnets. We saw that Tony loves the magnets. 
He reverses the transistor in it because, you know, transistors, and that ends up repelling all the, you know, guns, the bullets. Even at this point, they're shooting mortar shells, missiles. I mean, they're they're trying to throw everything and the kitchen sink at him. But he's able to kind of put his hand up, and they think that this is, oh, my God, the magnet affects metal. Oh, my God, we can't get him. While this is going on, Wong Chu is screaming like, it's only a magnet. Yeah, you can, but you, you can overtake them. We have enough guys. You know, go hand to hand. Go in. They're just running. I mean, the, the power of magnetism is amazing to them. And they're like, holy crap, I'm getting the hell out of here. They run. Well, Wong Chu figures, okay, I got to get up to the tower where we have this giant speaker so that I can tell, you know, my troops what to do. I can coordinate them. They're all freaking out. But if I tell them, and, and you know, Wong Chu is going to say, listen, you leave, you're dead. I'll get you. But fight this iron man but he ends up going up and then you get another one of these powers because as he goes to talk through this giant loudspeaker tony ends up sending an electric charge type deal to make it all sound like static so he's like hey everybody and he says listen my warriors ten thousand yen to the one who destroys iron man and what they are is like the static stuff so that doesn't work so wang chu he's beside himself he doesn't know what to do now and to make it worse, Tony overtakes the loudspeaker and then basically says and uses almost a thing that makes him sound like Wang Chu. And he's like, hey, desert Wang Chu, flee into the jungle. No one can defeat the Iron Man. Flee before he slays you all. They all run into the jungle. Wang Chu runs and he hides in this kind of like shed area. Tony walks up, you know, the lumbering Iron Man. He gets there a little late. Uh, Wang Chu has already locked the door, but Tony ends up using another transistor that makes a miniature buzzsaw, you know, the power of a dozen buzzsaws. He cuts open the, I don't know that you needed to cut this wooden wall with the power of a dozen buzzsaws. I think one buzzsaw does the trick. When you go in now, Wang Chu figures, oh God, I got to defeat this Iron Man. What can I do? And throws a filing cabinet. At Tony, it ends up knocking down Iron Man and, and pins him underneath. And somehow, Tony's in there. He's like, "Oh my God! I think he put rocks in this cabinet, in this you know file cabinet. I don't know where he did this or when, but maybe it's one of those like he kept pretending he was doing paperwork, but he needed like better make that heavy because people are going to try to move and they'll realize I don't know how to read. And he ends up putting rocks in there. Maybe he writes on the rocks. That's how he does it. But Tony eventually is able to push the filing cabinet off him. I mean, really, in this, the most, you know, trouble that he has in this is a filing cabinet. But he gets it off him. He runs. Wong Chu's, you know, I said, he's a little little big, a little older. He's running, though. He's running away. He thinks he's going to get away. He's yelling for the guards. Come on, slay the Iron Man. Get him. You know, slay the prisoners. And so Tony realizes what Wang Chu is going to do. If he's going to go down, he's going down with a bang. Wang Chu is going to kill everybody. So Tony has to act quick. So he ends up shooting some of the lubricant that oils up the whole Iron Man suit. And then there's a whole trail and he ends up lighting it with a torch where then it goes down as a fuse right as Wang Chu is running by the ammo depot. That the oil is going right and it blows up. Wang Chu is dead. He ends up blowing up. And I would love to think that right next to that was the prisoner pen. And 
while Tony thought he was je- he killed the prisoners himself. Who knows? I mean, you end up where Wang Chu was running there. Everything blows up. The whole village is in shambles. Iron Man stands there alone and says seconds later, Iron Man has recharged his batteries because he was he was running out of charge. Reminds me a bit of Ultraman. Uh, but he's like, I have set the prisoners free. I think he means free like they're in heaven right now. And the Reds, the commies, have fled in blind panic. It's all over. Now, Professor Jensen, rest easy. You who sacrificed your life to save mine have been avenged. Again, he said, I'm going to avenge you twice in this issue. So he does it and then puts on his nice coat and hat and walks off to the jungle and says, as for the Iron Man, that metal, and this is him thinking, as for the Iron Man, that metallic Hulk who once was Anthony Stark, who knows what destiny awaits him? I'm, he's thinking he's gone nuts. He's thinking about himself in the third person. As but it's funny too because he's both Iron Man and Tony Stark. This might be the first case, and maybe only, of somebody talking about himself in the third person twice in the same deal, but different people. He has lost it. He says, "Who knows what destiny awaits him? Time alone will provide the answer. Time alone." Time alone, he's going to have to walk through the jungle and get the heck out of there. He's going to run out of charge. I- I'm telling you, the way that he is, he gets defeated almost by a filing cabinet. What's going to happen if he falls down a ravine? He better get out of there quick. It says, don't miss more of Iron Man in the next great issue of Tales of Suspense at the bottom. That's the end. And like I said at the end, you end up next issue, golden armor. Okay, a little more eye-catching, especially on the cover. And I would guess that they're looking at it like, that really doesn't, you know, pop this cover. It doesn't really make me. That just looks like something that would be like a robot, a, a golem type deal. We got to make it like it's special, make it gold. So they do that. But also, instead of having him only in that armor, which would be funny, I'd like him in like a board meeting with that big giant suit, you know, thinking of things. They make it so that he can take all the other pieces off but the chest plate. And then he could put his clothes over it and whatnot. So that's that's a pretty cool deal. And it looks cool. I really like Tony with just the chest plate on. But it keeps him alive, keeps his heart a ticking, a beating. And, uh, yeah, by the end of this, it is pretty funny. I mean, it's funny as these Silver Age type things usually are, but not as ridiculous. Yeah, filing cabinet, right? But other than that, you know, things kind of set up in a intriguing but a logical kind of way. Transistors, you know, stuff So you end up having, you know, some Like I like to say, some weird science Going on, but that is kind of Intriguing, kind of going, and I think that If I was reading this uh, as a kid And the first time, I think that I'd be like Oh my god, I gotta see what's going on I gotta see what this guy is up to And and how is he gonna make this big giant suit How is he gonna get around, what's he gonna do Can he fly, I mean, all these stupid things So I think that it is uh, One of the better stories And that's why it's on this podcast, and one of the better origins as well. Uh, an origin for that, for the most part, has stuck. You end up, like I said, changing some of the details as you know time goes and some technology improves. Other wars are fought, stuff like that. But really cool. So with all of that, I hope everybody enjoyed going through it. Had a little chuckles. I had some chuckles, and you know enjoyed that. So with that, we'll I'll bid you adieu, everybody. I want to remind everybody to go over to our Twitter at WS Marvel Comics and then check out. Our Patreon, patreon.com slash weird science, where you can get a lot of shows like this, a lot of shows that aren't just me yipping and yapping, guest hosts, all these things going on. So, yeah, 
you know, check that out. Everything's in the show notes. I'll be back next week with another one of these best ofs, the best of Marvel Comics podcast. I'm, I said at the beginning, I'm trying to nail down a day and kind of get a schedule going. It's real tough. I, I end up doing a bunch of things. So I'm trying to get everything in line, but we'll figure that out. But just look for it each week around, you know, the middle of the week. So with that, I will say goodbye and I will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.